0: Alright, hello everybody and welcome to a special roundtable, uh, starring, uh, Skep, the hosts of Skeptics and Seekers, as well as Ask an Atheist Anything. I'm Dale, the Christian or seeker. I'm uh, David, uh, the skeptic. And from Ask an Atheist Anything, we have...
1: I'm Matthew, one of the hosts on Ask an Atheist Anything. And I'm Andrew, the
2: uh, other host of Ask an Atheist Anything and Raving Atheist, maybe. I, I don't know. I guess we'll find
0: out. <laughs> Excellent. So, so yeah, we have uh, a special a special show today, and this came as a recommendation from uh, one of our listeners uh, named Lisa, uh, and she asked us to do a Grill Christian episode, like uh, what Justin Briley does an unbelievable so uh for today I'm going to be in the hot seat uh, I've got three questions from the from my colleagues here uh as well as three audience questions um and yeah basically they're going to ask the question uh we'll go around in a circle and people will give their take and then we'll end with the Christian answer so I'm going to be in the hot seat today basically no,
3: we'll end up with your answer <laughs> not necessarily the Christian answer but sure go ahead
0: Okay. Uh, <laughs> whatever.
2: Um, we have established and, this and, on our show. <laughs> and, and, and you now see how it's going to go, audience. Uh, you're in for the ride of. Uh, yeah.
0: See, I've, I got a warm up because me and David recorded our SNS show today. So okay, I'm in. I'm in the mood. I'm. I'm ready to go. But um, okay, that
2: was too much information for a podcast. Now we have to label it as an adult uh,
3: <laughs>
0: with adult oh, content. Okay. All right. no, let's, let's, Before we go guess, down yeah. this road, yeah. um, I, I got to have get into you I- so, yeah. Let's, you're you're let's... thinking about a different
3: show. Uh, no, uh, no, 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 no,
2: no, so... no. not <laughs> thinking about the s show that comes up shortly after this,
3: so
0: stay safe. All <laughs> right, guys. I believe you had, you had a couple different questions, so I'm going to ask you to pick one. For, yeah, what's your first, what's your question?
1: Well, yes, you're right. I did have a couple of questions, and you quite accurately said that the first question, which incidentally was my preferred question, had some crossover. so I'm happy take your guidance and I'll go with question number two which is different to all the other questions that's it, very cool with me. So my question, different church traditions follow different methods of baptism. Example, infant baptism and adult baptism, full immersion or a splash on the forehead. Now some denominations, I'm thinking specifically Baptists, uh, we don't have to single them out, will go so far as to say that their method of baptism is the only one that really counts. Is baptism uh, of an individual important and does the method by which they are baptised really Really
0: matter. Okay, uh, so first, in terms of the answering, uh, we'll we'll start with the skeptics and end with me. So, uh, David, what what's your take on this baptism question? In my early Christian walk, I thought it was very
3: important. It was immersion only. Uh, as I grew more liberal before going out the door, uh, I decided that it wasn't important at all. Um, and so now, as a non-Christian, I just see it as a an occult ritual where where Christians have a wallowing in a blood ceremony that I just think is rather, rather disgusting. <laughs> so um, so at the end of the day I, I, I do find it borderline occult, if not all the way. But as as a Christian early on, as a fundamentalist, yes. As a liberal, no.
0: Okay. Uh and how about you, Andrew? Well so David and I
2: come I, I think we've said on the round tables in the past in the first two that we come from a similar religious background. In fact we grew up in the in the same part of the of the world, but I think I would maybe go a little further than David. So I absolutely agree that baptism is is a ritual in Christianity that's connected to blood sacrifice. But I'll go further, or or Dave, maybe you said this and I just didn't hear it properly, but in my religion, Dave, I would have said, not only is baptism important, it is the only and final step by which a person can be saved without baptism. It is, in fact, not possible for a person who other, otherwise claims Christianity to find themselves in heaven.
0: Okay, alright, and uh, how about you, Matthew? It's your uh, question. <laughs> <laughs> it's just my, it's, it's my question.
1: Um, I, I have my behind uh, the the question but certainly in my early Christian years I was very fundamental and baptism for me was uh, full immersion only that's uh, how Jesus did it and I didn't see any other way to do it Uh, and I saw it as a a critically important step in your Christian faith this was your your public declaration of Christianity and your public declaration of commitment to Christ and so I considered it of critical importance and that it was very important that you did it by full immersion As as I grew up as a Christian as I became a much more adult Christian and I softened on that slightly and I was quite happy because in the Church of England here okay. they don't do baptism as such they have confirmation because you're baptised as an infant with a little splash of water on your forehead and as, a, as an adult you do what's called confirmation uh, which I see as the adult equivalent of, of baptism in that's a public declaration of faith so I think what it achieves and what it performs is the same thing uh, it's called different names, mm. and the ritualistic part of the ceremony is very different between the two so this is where we get onto the crux so, of okay, so I see those two things as is the same in terms of what you're doing. Obviously now that I'm no longer a Christian, I just don't see, see the point of it at all. I think if somebody is a Christian, they stand up and say they're a Christian and they live their life to the best of their abilities as a Christian, I genuinely don't see what the public ritualistic declaration of that faith has to do with any of it. I don't see why there is any importance on it. The importance to a person as a Christian is how how they live their life, not some ritual that they did 10, 15, 20 years ago or however long ago it was. So I, I don't see it of uh, any importance at all. So going back to why I ask the question? I have actually been in a church, in a Baptist church, and when I say Baptist, I mean Baptist as we call it in England, which doesn't bear much resemblance at all to what in America would be called Southern Baptist. The mm. two kinds. So, so if I say Baptist, please don't equate that with the um, fundamentalist Southern Baptist in, in America, which other people be familiar with Um, but anyway i have been in a baptist church in the uk where we were talking about leadership and eldership church and the church's decision was if you haven't been baptized as an adult by full immersion you're not entirely a deacon or an elder in the church and i and i said to somebody in the church why what's so important about what if someone's been confirmed in the church of england isn't it the same thing does it mean the same thing and they looked me in the face quite seriously and said no of course it doesn't they can't be an elder they can't be on the diaconate if they haven't had that ritual and i was stunned by that then and i'm even more saddened by. Now this this tying of this kind of role and task to a specific ritual, rather than actually questioning, is the person's life, is the person's attitude, is the person's credentials good enough to grant them a position on this? And they're not asking that question. They're asking, have they performed this ritual as an adult? And I don't think that's the right way around to look at it. But then, I guess, as I'm not a Christian, my opinion possibly doesn't count. But <laughs> there, there's there's my answer to my own question.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I am somewhat sympathetic. I, I actually attend. I'm a Baptist, so I go to. A Baptist church myself. Now, I don't quite go all the way. I, I do would agree with you that I don't believe in baptismal regeneration. I don't think baptism is necessary for salvation. However, it is important. It is a universal commandment, just like taking part in communion that Jesus gives to all Christians to do. Um, so I, I don't think that you can be a Christian and and just say, oh, that the heck with it. I'm not gonna obey, uh, obey Jesus. I'm not gonna follow what he tells you to do. And baptism is an important public declaration of your faith, of the fact that you have been saved. And so in that in that sense, I would I would agree with all of you that I don't believe baptism is a sacrament, it's an ordinance. I, I don't think that it's appropriate to baptize babies. Or it, or if you do, then they would need to be baptized again as an adult. Um, you know, they they need I believe in believer baptism. And in terms of the mode, no doubt I, I was baptized by immersion. I think this is the, the best way to do it because that's the way everyone in the Bible was better symbolizes your dying and rising again with just like jesus but i'm not i'm not dogmatic. i don't i don't think it's sinful necessarily if, if you were sprinkled or um or poured with water um i don't think that the mode is essential but i do agree that immersion is the, the best way and it is the biblical way um so yeah that that would be my take on baptism um we'll do one round back and forth after this so since matt's the one who's if Matt has a follow-up question I'll give it to him and then I'll answer if he doesn't then it'll open up to Andrew or, or David to give one follow-up question on baptism so so Matt do you, do you have any follow-ups? Or?
1: I'll, I do I'm, I'll ask forgiveness in advance this is a little bit facetious but I think there is a, a point to this which hopefully the nuance of it will be got you mentioned about the, the method is important and therefore full immersion because that's biblical and that's what happens to Jesus now Jesus was baptised in a river not in a tub in a building I too when I was baptized, I was baptized in the river. Is my baptism
0: better than yours? Uh, no, so I, I wouldn't say so. And that that's why I said that I'm not dogmatic, right? Like I, I'm not saying it has to be immersion, um, but I just think it's its better because it better illustrates the meaning of it, right? You're dying when you're under the water and then you're rising to life. And that, that is the way they, they did it in the biblical examples. Um, so yeah, that, but its I wouldn't say it's necessarily wrong to do it with a different mode.
1: Okay. I, I could take that one on forever, but I, I think the point is taken there.
0: That's good. Thank you, All right, cool. Uh, so our next uh, question then... Uh, can, can I ask a follow-up? Okay, but make it quick. because It is very we're... quick.
3: I th- I'm just trying to understand... I fail to understand what you mean by better. <coughs> then you say that it's better because it's... One of the things you say is because it's biblical. So in my religious background, if it's biblical, it's not better. It's the only. You know, if you can trace a clear, thus say it, let's say it, the Bible... <laughs> Then that is the way to do it. And so I'm not entirely sure how you come up with, you know, these other options are just as good, even though they're not biblical. So if you could just provide some color
0: on that. Sure. Um, because that's you reading. You're making the same mistake that a lot of Christians do. You're reading in your head canon and then imposing that dogmatically the only churches we know of were house churches Does that mean we, we're not allowed to have churches as institutions but, but no one
3: would say that house churches are better. what you said was that the be- form of baptism of immersion was better
0: because it was biblical so it's it's better better because I think it better illustrates what the purpose of the ceremony is, right? You're dying and rising. I think it's better illustrated through immersion than through sprinkling uh, some water on the head, which I think is Rantis, so does, does,
3: does the fact that it's biblical, though, does that matter? Because you said it a minute, see, this is why I'm, why I'm confused. You said it as if that mattered, as if that was something that added to the quality of it, and then you turned around and said, but then
0: it doesn't matter. So, the biblical part, does that matter or not? Well, put it this way, it's, it's, it's Safer, then I guess you could say, because okay, well I'm doing it the way they did, so I know I know 100%. This is a right way to do it. If not, the only right way to do it, but at least it is a right way to do the baptism ceremony. Okay, thanks. No problem. Um,
2: um, just to, just to round that off, then, does baptism, in your view, have anything to do with forgiveness of sin? Is it since it's not an organ? Is it required so that a person's sin can be us?
0: Uh, so no. So it is, it is an ordinance in my view. It's not a. Oh, sam- I'm
2: sorry, I'm misunderstood.
0: Okay. Yeah, I misunderstood. Yeah. So I, I I reject baptismal regeneration. So um, yeah, that that would be my answer. Is no, it's it's not essential to salvation. You're saved, then you're baptized. Then. Yep. Uh, all right. Cool. So so now we'll move on to Andrew. It's your question, and I don't know in advance what it's going to be. You just said it's something to do with openness. So I'll be interested to see what you're.
2: Well, so. So we were talking on one of the boards that you and I participated in together about the uh, notion of God's hiddenness, not, not openness. Hiddenness. And so I think this has maybe been addressed uh, in the past on one of the other roundtables as well, but I'm still troubled by your notion of hiddenness. And this perhaps ties into the last question. I think you're arguing for a particular scheme of redemption. And, and it's a, even if baptism is required, forgiveness of sins. I Think you would argue that uh, hearing the word is important, believing it uh, is essential, uh, repenting of past wrongs—be they uh, wrongs that we know we committed or unintentional wrongs we're unaware of—and asking for forgiveness of those wrongs. So, do we track together so far?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, yeah, I thought we would. Um, so, we have in fact a very specific scheme of redemption, uh, and and that blazes a trail uh, through the entire Bible. If you uh, you know if you take the the conservative view, the the scheme of redemption. Is in lockstep between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we have this plan that we seemingly should all abide by, right? This is the this is a place where God is not hidden, right? So so it's pretty clear. There, it's pretty clear that there are things that God wants people to know, right? Hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, being forgiven. Those are things God wants people to know. Yeah. There's a tension between the things that Christians claim God wants us to know and not being able to demonstrate conclusively that there is a God behind those things that Christians would say God wants us
0: to know. Okay, uh, yeah, so what's, what's your question? Like, you want to know why so, that is? Or?
2: What? Or, or, we can talk about peace You know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, there's a there's a clear tension there, and to form it uh, to form it as a question. Okay. Why yeah. the very specific things God wants us to know without being able to tie them equally to a
0: guaranteed
3: existence? Okay. Okay. Yeah,
0: okay. um, so we'll start, D- uh, David. What's your what's your take on that?
3: Yeah. I, so no, I, I got I got very little to add here. Uh, hiddenness of God. So we're not supposed to know for sure that he's there but we're supposed to know for sure what he wants is a is a kind of strange conundrum to me too so i'll I'll just echo that and wait for an answer
0: okay you know what I, i'm gonna change the format because this doesn't make sense like i think the way i had it planned so like I, sh- I should answer the question first and then if you guys are each gonna have a follow-up so like then okay you guys give your take as a as a follow-up and then i respond to that you know what i mean like it'll save more time sure. works for me. okay sure. okay all right cool so okay so the hiddenness of god um I, I didn't. I thought you weren't going to be asking about this, or something to do with openness. So, but that's fine. So it is. It is true. I I think the best atheist argument is the hiddenness of God uh, against God's existence. Um, however, I still think it is a weak argument. It's not a forceful argument because there are various defenses as to why we wouldn't or shouldn't expect uh, God to reveal himself in a more conclusive way. So I think if I understand what Andrew's asking it's not even so much about the fact that God doesn't provide any evidence you'd be happy to say well even if God could prove himself let's say 60% that he's real. You're saying it's more the degree. It it has to be conclusive in some ways. Is that that correct Andrew? Like that's what you, it should be conclusive proof.
2: Well okay I'll I'll just provide a a brief. The young children in my family, uh, when I ask Ask them to do something. I don't write my of the on a piece of paper and send it through the mail and uh, you know and create a lot of obfuscation between who I am and the request. And what that allows is for them to make a decision about whether my request is reasonable because I, I make it to them largely in person or in some sort of communication that they're familiar with. However, we normally communicate. I might send something over a text message, but they'd at least have my phone number, right? And and so common we make decisions about requests made of us based on the context of those requests. And it seems to me to be very strange indeed that we understand the normal context of human requests. And, and you know, Matthew and I host Ask an Atheist we, we swap in and we make requests of each other. But we have a pretty clear context for those requests. And a way to go back and forth about how how the, a request should be actually And this notion that God is hidden, yet making a request of us, is very strange indeed in the context of the way we perform other requests. Like... Something of our children or something of business part.
0: okay so yeah I guess all I would say is um, it, it is seemingly strange definitely Right? That's why it requires an explanation, but I th- I think that comes in with what is God's goal, the Christian God's goal. It's not it's not just to reveal the truth of certain propositions. Um, It's to save souls, and I know you guys will have heard heard this a million times, but I I think it is. You know, if, if God just reveals Himself 100%. Hey, I, I'm real. I'm the Christian God. Look, I'm Jesus. You know, if He shows up to everyone, that that doesn't necessarily translate to everyone placing their faith in Jesus. They may believe the proposition, yeah, Jesus is God. But you'll have people like David and Tara who, who make no bones about it. Even if he is real, I don't care. I'm choosing to go to hell. I'm not going to follow this, this evil monster or anything like that. So through God hiding, there could be certain reasons or justifications, uh, Molinistically speaking, as to why that would be the case. One example that I've provided in the past is that applies to me is that it, it instills a cer- certain characteristics that are fit for heaven, such as a hunger or a desire for truth and being able to be patient, persistent, and you know, seeking out and that truth and willing to, you know, follow in the path of righteousness. There there are certain characteristics that could uh potentially only be instantiated in people through God being hidden. Um now you might think that's totally ridiculous or, or something like that, but the problem is once we're dealing with people with libertarian free will, which is what I, I believe in, then yeah, unfortunately people make choices or or act in ways that are ridiculous um, so God has to compromise and work within that framework through through his middle knowledge he knows that even if he did even if we uh, did show himself 100%. That doesn't necessarily mean we would choose to acquire these properties or characteristics. So this is my my answer as to attempt at defeating why why wouldn't God provide clear uh, communication or or proof of these propositions? So yeah, I think we'll go to David already. I'll give David one follow up kind no, of thing. I don't. I don't You're either. Dead? We've talked
3: we've talked about it on SNS, and so I I will okay. let okay. that stand for the sake of time.
0: Okay. Uh, so Andrew, and I should have started with you. because it's your question. So uh, do you have a follow-up for that do you kind of get what i'm
2: i do Um, i've got a very brief follow-up i I think there's a i think there's a reasoning flaw here um and and that reasoning flaw is that through hiddenness god can instill some sort of objective in you that, that god can try to further some set of actions on you through hiddenness that couldn't be done in an open view and Uh, So when I ask something of the people around me, I don't ask them and then go. And I don't have to build a a context of a lot of spiritual writing notions like middle knowledge in order to try to prop up the you know whatever requests I make. In other words, I don't have to be mysterious about it. Right. And I don't see any sense at all in which being mysterious about my existence or my requests of people actually promotes a writing ecosystem on which I can base a relationship. Relationship
0: of okay. Uh, and I, I think that that makes sense on a theoretical level. But the, the trick that's coming in is, is because of people's free will. People don't act ra- rationally or, or they don't always make choices that we would expect they should. So You know how how, I would just say like how how can you know you don't you don't have middle knowledge like God does you you don't know what every single person would freely choose in in a given circumstance I I hear you laughing I'm trying to give a
2: um, no no, I I haven't laughed oh
0: okay. I'm hearing things. But uh, yeah, so this,
3: this it's, is it's why the inner witness of the spirit that you're hearing.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> no, let, yeah that's me... me laughing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's me laughing too. Yeah, that's a good one, dude. That was good. Uh, no one would deny that people make choices that are stupid or, or don't make sense, right? Like people don't always act or choose the way that we, we think they should in a given situation. You know, what the heck is this guy thinking or something like that? So yeah, that that's how the argument works because. God does know this, and he's deemed that it is necessary to communicate in in less clear ways than your email communication in terms of revealing himself to people. Um, Yeah, that's how I... <laughs> okay. Uh, and Matt, and Matt, did you have any follow-ups on that? Or?
1: Uh, yes, I'll I'll take a slightly different angle uh on, on my response because it, it'll be a bit pointless me re- repeating the objections um, that uh, David and Andrew said. Because I share those objections anyway. But um, my my response is yes, many many Christians and apologists uh, acknowledge the challenge of the hiddenness of God and how can you be certain of, of things of God and how can you have absolute confidence in the in the presence of God and um, many of them welcome or even celebrate that. That um, and use that to to elevate the position of faith and the importance of faith within in Christianity. But then on the flip side, you have Christians who have absolute confidence in in what is uh, right, what is wrong, what the Bible says, what, what God says, what God's will is, the nature of God. And I, I think there's a straightforward uh, contradiction in here. You either God is either hidden and you don't fully know, you have to take it on faith, or God is uh, absolute. And reveals unambiguously, and you know for certainty, for you know for certainty, and absolutely certainly, certain things are true. I don't see how both can exist together, this one or the other. And I think the fact that we have such confident uncertainty in some aspects of God or some things that God has said, while at the same time God is uh, hidden and vague uh, and needs to be searched and, and needs to be uh, exalted upon, and you need to interpret and you need to study for hours to get the tiniest nuance. I, I think that those two. Things uh, existing so openly in Christianity is, is enough for me to reject Christianity. Okay. Um,
0: yeah, I would, ju- I would just say I think that's being a bit too hasty. I mean, I, I would expect under my Molinistic defeater, which you're not in and of itself refuting here, because that that was what Andrew was going going for, kind of thing. But yeah, I think we would expect a mixed bag. If, if God is choosing to hide Himself in general or to specific individuals because of this Molinistic reason, he, He's responding to their their what He knows through His knowledge, their free will choices would be. He would know that it would be good not to reveal himself clearly to Dale for the years he was doing his religious research so he could go through the motions and develop these character traits. Oh, but now, as of Mayfair, 2018 now it's good for me to reveal the truth for it. and maybe two years from now it'll be good for god to strengthen my faith even more or vice versa it might even be the case that god has a plan for me to lower my faith and then go up again or something like that so that you have to remember that individual free god deals with individuals their their free will and can respond to what's what's best for them in relation to his overall plan so i, I would expect a mixed bag actually okay okay All
3: right. So, what if god is hiding himself from me why on earth should I care to find him? I mean, I, I obviously have good reason for not believing in him because he's hidden. So why should
0: anything that you say matter if God is hiding? So in your case, because you you have to be an honest seeker, right? You sh- I don't expect. Well, you wait to a care minute. About- is God
3: hiding or am I dishonest? Because I think you're trying to play it both ways. There, I'm I'm declaring myself honest, but God's hiding. You're saying no, no, no. God's not hiding. I'm dishonest. Which is it? It
0: could be either or, or both and, because you you are supposed to be uh, so I, i'm not sure that you are an honest seeker ba- just based on things that you said and i, I know this is going to get into somewhat of your questions and stuff like that i my honest take and i haven't interacted with andrew that much but i, I think he is an honest seeker, just based on what i what i've seen so yeah if god hasn't revealed himself to you it could be because you're a, a dishonest seeker like god in his overall providence, even could be using that because you need to be an honest seeker maybe i'll come on and and say this and and that'll prompt you, you know what? Yeah, I really do need to look into this. So I'm going to seek him. And then God might not reveal himself. He might stay hidden for a couple of years while you go through that process. But then so long as he reveals himself before the point of no return, as I've said a million times, then that's sufficient. That's where God's responsibility is. It's it's not to reveal himself instantly to everyone as clearly as possible. So that does segue into my question. Can I go ahead and ask it? Yeah, absolutely. I
3: um, So I'm going to cheat. I wrote Three questions. I'm going to ask three questions and you can answer it as one because it's all, it's kind of a, you know, one steps uh, toward the other. So I'll let you deal with it the way you will. So you can think of it as one question in three parts a trinity. Um, so sorry I didn't hear that I was, <laughs> that's okay you, you wouldn't have appreciated it okay. uh, I said it was one question in three parts a trinity um, you want me to you want
0: to ask the so, first one I'll give yeah. a short answer
3: okay. now I'll just I'll just put them all together and um, you then you just kind of deal with it however you like okay. so one setting aside some uh, speculative point of no return is it ever reasonable for a person to be an unbeliever and if so, so explain. explain the second part of this question. Given that a person has reached a reasonable position of unbelief, is it reasonable for them to stop seeking in an area they have deemed a dead end? So, in other words, can can you ever stop once you've reasonably uh, come to unbelief? And then, three, uh, having concluded that the God of the Bible is distasteful and perhaps evil, is it appropriate for that person to close their hearts to such a being? After all, a Christian would not open their hearts to Satan, and they would be just for keeping satan out so why is it uh that an atheist uh not justified in keeping uh, their hearts closed to what
0: they consider an evil god of the bible so there you go cool so my answer for number one is it ever reasonable uh for a person to be a, a non-christian to be an unbeliever yeah i do think that there are people that can be rationally justified in being unbelievers i myself was one for years so yeah uh the answer is yes to that one um now your second part so given that a person has reached a is rationally justified. So so just to clarify, I don't think a person can ever be warranted uh, in terms of thinking that Christianity is false. Uh, But I do think you can be rationally justified. Right. I'm not interested Uh, in whether they're right or wrong about it. Okay. Uh, Okay. Okay. So, is it ever reasonable to stop searching? No. Um, well, actually, so my answer is yes. And so, yes, only in the extreme case that you are you have you are one hundred percent warranted in knowing that that religion is false. Only then can you say that I don't have to study. I know that it's it's false. That's the only case. Even if you're ninety nine percent warranted in thinking the religion is false, you must always be an honest seeker for the entirety of your life. Um, now, obviously, there's you know you got to be. There are practical limits. Do this, right? We can't, nobody can spend their entire life studying every single religion. Like, there's no Buddhist in the world that's read all of their own scriptures. It's, it's just not physically possible for someone to read all of that. In one's lifetime, for example, right? And that's just Buddhism alone. So yeah, there are reasonable limitations. Um, and that's why I always qualify by saying you have to be an honest seeker to the best of your ability and within, you know, reason. So if I present you with an opportunity for a, for an example, I, I think you've got a duty to actually take some look in whatever degree, you know, whatever time you have available, whatever rational faculties you're, you're able to understand. Uh, I think you have a duty to be an honest seeker and say, okay, well, let me, take some time to try and get to the bottom of this as best I can. Uh, if you refuse to do that and you're not 100% warranted in thinking the religion is false, you're a dishonest seeker at that point. You're not allowed to do that.
3: I don't think you're interacting with a question that I'm asking very well. Y- yeah, I, so I think you're trying, but I think you're missing the mark a little bit. I am asking you know to the best of my ability i'm an honest seeker i looked into it to the best of my ability i came up with an answer that it is not true to the best of my ability now you're telling me because i didn't come up with your answer i have to keep looking and i'm tr- i'm trying to understand i'm trying to understand how you get there you're saying well i'm not warranted and, and I, the only way you're saying that i'm not warranted is because i guess i got the wrong answer but i got the best answer that i could come up with i did the best study i could with the information i had and it it came up, oh, well, no, this religion is not correct. I came by that honestly. Now, can I stop? No. So, you <laughs> can't stop. That's the, uh, that's well, the thing. I'm trying to it.
0: understand why I can't. But, the, but there's no special plea. I also have to continue to be an honest seeker, Christian, unless you have 100% warrant. Let me ask this, because I'm not 100% warranted in claiming that Christianity is true. I'm not at that level. So, are you, you've done all the research that you can to the best of your ability as an honest seeker, and you, would you say you're 100% certain or have 100% warrant that Christianity? these faults. As I'm, I'm as certain as
3: I can be as a human about anything. I mean, it's um, I'm, I'm, as cer- I'm I'm equally as certain that voodoo is wrong. And, and let me just be, let me be clear. I have not spent a fraction of the energy studying voodoo. Uh, I'm sorry, but voodoo. I have not spent an a-, a fraction of the energy studying voodoo as I have Christianity, but I am certain that it's wrong. And I am wondering, you know, are you are, are equally studying voodoo? Uh, have you, is your heart still open to voodoo? Are you still Still reading voodoo texts, are you meeting with voodoo shamans uh to to listen to the latest voodoo arguments? Okay. I mean, is uh, that what I've got
0: to do, honestly? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and including for me. It, it unless you if you're claiming to be one hundred percent warranted or uh so in, wait, in wait, your do I have to do that right, for every right.
3: claim? Every religious claim just because it's religious? Do I you know if someone's if someone tells me, you know, about I don't know, Santa Ria, some kind of weird cult white religions or or if they if they talk to me about you know supernatural encounters with fairies or you know whatever I've got to I've uh, got to be open to that too and I've got to I've got to study it until I die I don't I don't understand how you're not special pleading
0: here well if it's a religion
3: yes you, you okay own, so if it's, it's a religion yes you've got to you've got to stay open to every religion what are, are there some things that you don't have to stay open to that are not religion I mean how, how does religion sure. get this under position and I'll stop because I realize that we're going into a full-on debate, but I I do not, I am nowhere near close to understanding the answer that you're trying to give. And uh, since I will stop, also, if you would pursue the, the last part of that question, which is also a true thing, I consider the God of the Bible evil. Now, that's the God of the Bible. Maybe I understand him wrong, but for me, he's as evil as a devil. Why should I leave my heart open to
0: him? Okay, so, okay, so you want me to just move on? Or?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I am so, announcing okay. that I am going to stop there and allow you to finish this however you like. Okay,
0: um, so just for my own knowledge, quickly, and don't, don't give a long explanation, but Andrew and Andrew or, and or Matt, do you at least understand what I'm saying? Even if you disagree with it, do you at least understand? Because David seems to be saying, I, I'm just not even answering it. Do, do you guys get what my answer is, even if you think it's wrong? Yes, and yes, you're wrong. Okay, and Andrew?
1: So I think that you're
2: wrong pursuing... So wait a minute, first, you asked this differently. Yes, I understand your answer. Okay. And, and I'll even go so far as to say I would have given the same kind of answer, you know, 25 years ago. I'd also like to say to the people that listen to these roundtables before I talk about why I think you're wrong and uh, that David and I have been friends for a long time. I know that you guys have these battles pretty often on skeptics and seekers. I will say to the listeners here, I've known Dave for 35 or 40 years, and I don't find him dishonest in his pursuits. So there was some question about whether David might be honest in his pursuit. Yeah, I will. No, no, I know. And, and by the way, I'm not accusing you because I feel as strongly about your honesty and integrity as I do this. Yeah, well, but it's, I, it's my,
0: I'll, I'll just correct it. Yeah, I, I actually don't believe David is being dishonest. It, it's it's because of the terminology. I say honest seeker is so what's the opposite, dishonest seeker. But there are three three different criteria. It's not necessarily that David's uh, the devil and he's actually he actually knows the truth, but he's lying. I, I don't mean he's, when I say he's a dishonest seeker, uh, I'm not necessarily saying that. I'm just saying he fails one of the criteria uh, for being, I don't know what to call it, a true seeker. What, what What? do you, what's the word? I don't know, a real seeker or something. I don't know. I
2: don't, I don't know either, but I'll say this. If, if Dave is not currently a true seeker, whatever, however that might be glossed in the mm-hmm. public eye, mm-hmm. I know Dave. David and I went through our, uh, some part of our religious experiences together, and I will, uh, I, I will will say that if you find me dishonest, that is the, the list. If you find me dishonest, okay, fair enough. But. David and I went through some of this together, and we were both diligent seekers at the time. So whatever you might think of, of uh, polemicism versus some other approach, I think that it is fair to say that David pursued this wholeheartedly and with openness of mind and reached his conclusions based on the things he thought were reason. Standing somewhere between you guys, I think it ought to have been said, and Dale, I feel the same way about your approach. Now, here's where you're wrong, and and here's why I am absolutely justified in putting a nail. In the of and for all of the listeners who are about to hit pause and walk away when we approach a, a conversation with reason one of the things that we necessarily know about drawing a conclusion is that that conclusion must be internally consistent uh, to to for instance decide that god whatever god you think is real is real there cannot be a contradiction in the existence of that God's nature. Now, for myself, I have looked at this. Close. I find the internal characteristics of the Christian God as laid down in the pages of the Old Testament to be contradictory. And because I don't think it is possible, and yes, I'm you know this is I fully admit this is this is my internal answer, But I am absolutely justified in concluding that a God does not exist and turning my back on that God forever. When that God has some set of characteristics that are internally inconsistent, and I don't have to look any further. In the same way. I don't have to continue to search for whether two plus three can be four. It can't be. Because there's a contradiction in in that answer versus
0: the way the world looks. Okay. Yeah. So that so I would I would agree then. And that, that is what I that that's the type of thing I was meaning to say when I'm saying if, if you are one hundred percent warranted in thinking, for example, that there is a logical contradiction and you, you've done everything to your power, then yeah, there's you have knowledge that it's wrong. There's no you don't have to waste your time studying it. But it, I find the I I find it hard to believe that I I don't like I don't, I'm not. I don't believe that you are 100% warranted in claiming that there is a logical contradiction in the concept of God's God's attributes. So yeah, we that would need to be assessed and, and debated and that sort of thing.
2: I'm willing to put that on the agenda for next time because you know we're we're trying to do what we're doing here. Well, but I, I'm going
0: to. I'm going to be doing an S series after um, because I, I promise promised that I'm going to do the ontological argument. So after I'm done with Messianic prophecies and I've got a couple other things that I promise, I'm going to be. Doing the coherence of Christian theism, an entire series Mm -hmm. on the properties with David and that's going to lead up into okay, well it's coherent, therefore it's logically possible, and then I'm going to use the ontological argument. So yeah, I've got that in the works. I'm
2: happy to participate if you it me too. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, perfect. So
0: here, here's the point though: if you're correct in that, then yeah, you are justified in saying I'm, I'm not going to waste my time studying it. It's it's logically contradictory. It, it, I wouldn't expect anyone to be open to two plus three equals four. So yeah, okay. But, but um, how
3: do we how do we know that we're wrong? That's you seem to be saying that we've got some burden to keep it going even though we're justified but not warranted. How do we know we're not warranted? We we feel warranted. We we study. We, the only thing that you're, that you're saying about us that's not warranted is that we came up with an answer that's different from yours. I don't think I track with that. You're saying if we're warranted, if we know that we're right, then it's okay to stop. Well, we do know that we're right to the best that we can know a thing. I'm not willing to say that I can't possibly be wrong about stuff, but to the best that I can Come to that, I'm. I know that I'm right. So why am I not warranted? Because you're not. That isn't what warrant
0: is. You okay? But not just so enough. explain it so to me. me. Well, I have. I, I was going to move on to your third third thing, right? So
3: okay, but it, so I. I why I don't I'm understand your answer? <laughs> you're because you're saying yes, you can stop if you're warranted. If you know that you're right. Well, I know that I'm right, so I'm warranted. But you're saying no. You you can't be warranted because you're wrong. Well, how do I know I'm
0: wrong? So you have to always be open to evidence, especially. On, on atheism, you have no grounds for warrant. We've discussed that. You believe in brute facts. That that isn't knowledge. You, you can never have 100% knowledge, at least according to you. So the, the atheist so, can
3: never be warranted, and so the atheist true. must always keep seeking. That sounds like what you're saying. Yeah.
0: If, oh. if but. Seeking within reason. I'm not saying you have to devote every second of your life to study. Like we've got lives. We have to. God has a duty to work within what's practical, right? For for us, as long as we try our best. Okay, I've I've got a weekend free. I'm gonna take take a couple hours. I'm gonna read this article and try to decide on that. Um, yeah, but I did that I, last week and I
3: decided, and it, I decided that Christianity was false. Why do I need to do it again this weekend? Because you're never gonna be
0: warranted. If I present, if I presents, <laughs> if someone presents an opportunity to for you with something new or something like something that you haven't heard or is trying to has a new angle to refute your reason like they like i let's say i ask andrew why is the concept of god logically incoherent and he says well i don't think omniscience makes sense and and he explains what he means and i say oh well that's not what omniscience means it means this or something like that at that, that at that point andrew should be open you know it's an opportunity to have a discussion even and debate that point kind of thing i would expect you to be open to going oh you know Molinism. Okay, I've never heard of that. Does that work? And
3: stuff like that, right? Look, I I apologize to everyone because I'm the one who dragged this out, but please take at least a minute to address the last point, though, because I think that goes with this, and uh, I've never heard a Christian answer for this question. It's not just... Okay, so remind the audience, though, it's not just that I looked and didn't find, but that the God that I was looking for in the Bible, that the Bible describes, seems to be evil to me. Now, maybe I'm wrong about that, once again, but you know, I have honestly sought. But why would I want to open my heart to an evil god? I mean, why? Why am I required to do that? But the Christian isn't. But the Christian
0: isn't. Um, they're
3: not. They're not required to open their heart to, to Satan or to uh, a Hindu god. I asked this of uh, Joyce very specifically once.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, why don't you, Why don't you open yourself up to m- the many Hindu gods? And she said something about you know they, they they could be devils, you know, demons. And she would would not, in fact, open her heart to any other god. So can, can I? Sorry,
2: can I add to that? Um, why not just open up to simple non-beliefs? So the reason I mention it is the other beliefs that you were talking about are character-based. Some Hindu god, or um, you know, or, or Zeus, or uh, Thanatos, or, or whoever. Right? Those are all character-based assessments. Things about which we would necessarily proclaim a positive belief. But why not simple, unbelief? Open yourself to simple unbelief, which is not uh, based in some character, but based in the lack of evidence.
3: Yeah, so that, I, I would agree that that's, that's also a good question. But, yeah, if you would address both of those, I mean, I don't I don't want to open my heart to
0: something that I think is evil. Do you think that I am required to do that? You are required to be – so we – we again, this is a topic we discussed in the show, and I, I gave you the shocking answer. Yeah, we should be open to the fact that learning Satan might be good uh, or that a Hindu god might be true. Uh, Unless we have one hundred percent warrant or knowledge that these guys are evil, then we should be open to learning, actually, guess what? They're not bad. They're not you know, I misassessed. Okay, so you're
3: you're saying that your heart is honestly open to Satan. Yeah, if, if I find that. Okay. Out- there's are you are you are he's, you he's, seeking yeah. satan are you
0: well oh okay so
3: y- y- you know yes all of all of no, your question all of your criteria as honest seeker are you doing that for satan i, I honestly i don't think I'm that not you're honest
0: yeah um okay so no i i am then i i am open because i'm not 100 convinced christianity is true so yeah you're, you're too easy, you because, will
3: just say the, the wild crazy thing and i have nowhere to go from there but I'll maybe be, yeah, maybe you can address i'm not
0: 100 knowledgeable that christianity is true i I only know that there's a guy named Satan and he's a, he's a bad guy because the Bible tells me so, right? I'm, I'm justified in believing that because Christianity you may, you is a it Satan may
3: not be a bad guy. Have, you, you have said the Seeker's Prayer to Satan, right? <laughs> No, I, I don't expect. As a seeker, you don't have to pray to oh, God, like, okay. believe in that. I'm just saying, you've done all of the things for Satan that you want me to do for your God. Sure. No one, yeah. Okay. All right.
0: Uh, you
1: need to be <laughs> I, a, I think you, need you may have
0: lost a lot of Christians, but okay. <laughs> because they're coming at it. We have biblical knowledge that Satan is evil, right? So on the, given that Christianity is true, of course, I'm not open to Satan, but I am open to the possibility that I might be, that Christianity might be wrong. Maybe there's some guy that is named Satan out there um despite christianity being false and he's not a he's not a bad guy or something you know if if satan is not just an entity but he's you know satanism or or some a part of some kind of religion and i'm assessing whether that religion is true or not yeah you need to be open
3: well i I once quipped that i am as open to your god as you are open to satan
0: so I i will try to to be true to that And I will I will let it go there. Okay. All right. Cool. So Matt, um, we had a question from Lisa, and Lisa's yeah.
1: Sorry, can I I, you guys? Chatted around a lot. There's a, there's a point I'd just like drop in. I know you probably batted around this subject quite a bit, and, but, and I gave a very, very brief and short answer, uh, earlier. I'm in the same position as David Adanger on this, but I just like to you know, just knock at it from a slightly different angle to try to, to clarify some of what's been said. and um, but yeah, my answers to David's questions are yes, 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 but. and the, the but is change the evidence and you change my position. Uh, let me, um, let, let me rewind uh, a little bit. You go, go searching on the internet, go searching for, for other people's blogs. There are hundreds upon hundreds of former Christians out there who are blogging about their experience of existing Christianity. And their experience of leaving Christianity is almost unanimously a long and painful process. And they are doing that long and painful process is this process that David is asking about, which is questioning and questioning, trying to find the place where Christianity is true, trying to find that that formula, the answer to that formula. Um, And they spend a good long time doing that. So the reason why I say it is absolutely, yes, there is a time. To stop is is a practical reason. You know the theological reason has been expressed, uh, and and you've answered that. But I want to put in a case for sheer practicality. These people haven't got; they've done all the work. done all. They have no longer got the time or the energy to continue doing this. It is also so stressful for them. It's bad for their mental health. So these people need to stop, not because, Hmm. not not for any reasons to do with their perpetuality of their soul, but they need to stop because of their mental health. They become they'll if they continue down this, they'll become a. Dysfunctioning human being because of the tension and the stress and the upset that this whole process is is doing for them. So that is why so much. I appreciate that. That happened to me. me, I am also one of these people. And the journey that these people go to. Sometimes there is enormous personal cost. Sometimes it costs people marriages. Sometimes it costs people their their children. It is an enormously painful thing. And and the practicality part of that is they must stop. They have to build up that wall and walk away. Say no. Enough. Okay.
0: Well, yeah, I would, like I said, right, it's, you have to be an, a true seeker, a real seeker, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I don't know. Being a true seeker is costing them. Right. That, so, that's so the point me, I make. yeah, that, so that's what I'm going to say with the second point is, but within practical limits, I don't, I don't have time to go around and read all the books I want to or to read all the blogs or, or study everything. I, I like, or to answer long questions. Like when I started on the boards, I was able to respond better than I can now and stuff like that like that right so nobody denies that someone might not have the time to do everything they can god accommodates that if if you're saying there's a medical the fact that you guys lumped yourselves into that i i I don't think i wouldn't agree with you on that but if there is actually a medical reason someone can't do it of course they they don't have the responsibility to go out and, and search these things god it's on god to reveal himself to that person within before the point of no return so yeah because david in his question he wants to get rid of this point of no return thing just in the moment so I've, I've been trying to answer in the moment yeah i admitted that there are people that can be rationally justified in in thinking it's false but that person should never stop being a real seeker to the to the point that they're able to be such uh you always need to be open if there is an opportunity that you are mentally and and time wise you are able to take advantage of advantage of in whatever way to the best of your ability, then you are obligated to do that. So that's, yeah, that's my final take. Okay. No, um, thanks,
1: you. Yeah, there's lots more I could say about this, but it's probably better for, for the, the mm-hmm. forum. Uh, it's actually time to move on.
0: Yeah. So, so Matthew, this is you're going to ask Lisa's uh, question. So Lisa is the one who recommended doing this Grilla Christian show. Thank you very much for that, Lisa. Um, um, and, yeah, so she's asked um, an interesting question uh, or a series of questions that's uh, sort of related to her field. She's a gynecologist, so so, yeah, I'll turn it over to Matthew to ask the question.
1: It's- I love this question. I think it's Faber's question. This question actually sent me hunting down a, a Bible and looking for various associated uh, passages, which is not something I normally do. I, I, uh, I don't enjoy looking at Bible verses. I've done enough of it in the past. <laughs> um, so, anyway, so Lisa comes on with the menstruation question. Thank you, Lisa. Is this natural body function a sin, as the Bible suggests, and how does pigeon blood work in the supernatural realm? Brackets, I'm assuming to cleaner woman specifically how does this magic work now one of the reasons why i went looking was i don't remember a connection between pigeon blood and menstruation and i still couldn't find one so um maybe i'm reading the wrong version but anyway uh, go ahead i'm really looking forward to this one okay.
2: I, think so, was, sorry, Del, I think all she was sorry Dale. i think also saying in regard to pigeon blood um is the same thing as if she'd said the blood of bulls and goats i think she's simply talking about the fact that the blood of some animal sacrifice was Uh, sufficient to cleanse a woman in Old Testament tradition. um, So, sorry Lisa, you can insert whatever here. (laughs) (laughs) Insert whatever impurity they were perceived to have and I'll echo Matthew when I say uh, thank you Lisa uh, for the question I think it's remarkably on point I, I think that's what you're saying to' you, is just that the blood of some sacrifice was sufficient to cleanse a woman of b- insert whatever wrong here you you want
0: yeah yeah cool uh, so yeah I I, um, I think this is a good uh, an interesting question it, it's it's not one that comes up quite a lot um, and I did actually do some some research on it myself and I'll provide a link <laughs> provide a link um, for you guys in the comments when this round table comes up so you want to check that out lisa that's great um so the first place is is the natural body function a sin no it's not i don't think the bible does suggest that it is a sin um i think that's you reading it in because uh it requires you know it requires procedures for ritual purity or or you know like oh well when a woman gives birth um to a boy i think it's seven days uh before they're ritually pure if they give birth to a girl it's double that it's 14 days or something what what's going on with this this kind of stuff it's almost like um you know, does God uh, the the article I'm thinking of it was saying does God hate women um and is the pain that they go through proof of that proof that God hates them. So, you know, menopause or menstruation and giving birth and all of that. Um and so yeah, it, it's it's not a sin. Um and it's I think you hint what Andrew hinted at it. What what the Bible's getting at is so if you remember from our show on blood, the punishment for sin is death, uh spiritual and physical. And blood represents the life, right? So this is why, you know, all in the Old Testament blood is is seen as necessary for a atone, atonement or uh, even for approaching God in general there are Thanksgiving sacrifices and it's not always about atoning in any way to make a covenant or to bridge that gap that's that separation from God blood is necessary um, and that's done on a ritualistic level it's purely symbolic the pigeon blood there's no magic at work with the pigeon blood or bull blood or goat's blood or lamb's blood whatever you want to say whatever sacrifice is necessary for the menstruation specifically or, or giving birth to a child um this is why god it, it's meant to be a tutor because it's looking forward uh, to Jesus ultimate sacrifice which actually does uh, atone for our sins um so yeah there, there is no magic I, I can't there is no magic going on this doesn't actually atone uh, as though you're sinning when you're menstruating or or giving birth or something like that um yeah i think why, I
3: think why would why would a woman need to go through the cleansing period if she's if it's not a uh,
0: um, after the menstruate because it's showing due respect for blood, right? That's what's coming out. It's it's putting an emphasis on okay, blood is linked to you know it's it's something that you want to be you you want to show the due respect for you're giving up your blood kind of thing. And that's that's why with, when you give birth to a boy, appar- apparently uh, I read this somewhere. I don't know if it's true. Lisa probably will. She's a gynecologist. But there's more blood that comes out if you have a gir- give birth to a girl than a boy um, because the girl bleeds as well? The the baby bleeds as well? I don't know if that's true. or not. I don't know. Nothing nothing
3: occult about this at all. I I withdraw. I'm (laughs) not entirely sure that's true.
1: I I I have no idea I
2: would would fully expect that the amount of blood that uh, is a result of birth would have to do with the size of the baby and not the gender of the baby. Now, if I'm wrong, I would happily let Lisa weigh in on this since she's a a professional. The, The part that I don't understand but, is
3: but, it doesn't matter how much blood comes out. Why do you need well, to why do you need to atone for it or why do you need to need to be considered unclean because you bled?
2: I want to I want to ask that question slightly differently because there's this notion of being respectful of blood and that somebody is giving up blood. I suspect um having been in a in a fair few relationships with women in my life um, and maybe we won't dig deep too deeply into that. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: no <laughs> we're not going to
2: fact check any of this. That's that's for the S and M Act show maybe, but, uh, but uh, I, I think that the women that I've been in a relationship with wouldn't qualify menstruation as giving up blood. It's not as if they're making a, a conscious choice uh, once a month to, to give up. So, so, so okay, and look, guys, I, I it like, right, me, man, because I'm not trying
3: to be ridiculous. I'm trying I mean, to be ridiculous. Why is so crazy? Why the heck? So you. You're ministra- ministrating, and somehow you've got to purify yourself before God because now you're unclean. Well, guess what? I <laughs> cut my finger the other day, and then I bled. Was, I was not unclean. You have
2: a heavenly host of menstruation products. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. So, no yeah, but-
3: it is silly. I'm sorry. I, I am laughing at it because it is silly. It is a cult. It is unexplainable in any reasonable way. I'm sorry. I admit that. I'm, I'm shutting up. It's over. I'm, I'm
2: stopping. Okay, but, but I do. Dale, I, for me. In regard to your response, I'm not trying to not take this seriously. In fact, mm-hmm. I am making an effort to take it as seriously as it should be. Because if there are 2.4 billion Christians in the world, there's at least 1.2 billion women. So I do want to take this seriously. Okay, <laughs> and the notion of respecting blood in this case, without being a woman as well, I find offensive because this is not a voluntary. Uh,
0: okay, uh, I'm not. I'm not. Sh- I don't. I'm not sure where the offense is coming from. Like it's just sort of uh, like when out Ada- of... You know, it's all related to the reproduction cycle, right? That was the punishment that God gave to Eve in the Garden of Eden, um, in addition to to death. It, does it not say that? I don't know who's laughing. Sure.
2: No, no, no. Look, it, it does say that. I think that you're, when you say, I don't know where the offense is coming from, I, I think you're, I think you're hitting all around. It. You, you're right in the middle of the bullseye right now. If you, if you just look around you, you'll see the painted circle. Because when you say that, you know, there's this, there's this notion that the reproductive cycle and, and, and therein is where we should respect some, uh, menstruation or that menstruation is, is worthy of some purification process. I think that's where you're going to find that when Women are offended. They're, what, they're, what you will hear is this is not a voluntary act, and it's not something about which they feel they should be ashamed or be purified from.
3: It's not dirty.
2: Yeah, they, they it's, don't. It's,
0: it's not, not, a, not
3: dirty. It, they it's, don't. You don't need to be clean if you're not dirty. Yeah, There's nothing dirty about a period. Let me just say that for the audience right now. No matter what okay. weird thing okay. comes <laughs> next, it's not dirty. Stop. Weird thing. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Stop. It. So it's, I, I already answered that, right? I said it's not a sin. Women Women don't need to feel ashamed. I, I, I'll provide, I want you guys to read my source. It, it, but the reason God gave that punishment is a re, is a reminder. This is why in the Old Testament, bearing children is uh, almost seen as next to salvation, right? Obviously, as a Christian, oh, it's because through the seed of the woman, the Messiah would be born, Jesus, and Jesus Period wasn't. is not a punishment. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's no, sort it's of not. meant as a punishment. No, it's by... not.
3: It's not a punishment. I've read the story. Period is not a punishment it was oh. pain during oh. childbearing that's not a period period's not a punishment it's not
0: dirty i don't know where you're getting this from okay whatever so it's it's the point of the curse is it's related the to period's trouble. not it a is, part of the it's, curse it's, it's related it is, to the reproduction cycle yeah so, the so reproduction, the, how are you getting the, that i this is why i think the bible is saying that you have to purify yourself after menstruation or or that sort of thing right it's not just about birth they've got to sacrifice a pigeon or goat or bull after menstruation that's question. Why would the Bible order that? But so yeah, the curse
1: is in. specifically childbirth. It doesn't mention any other part of the cycle. It specifically says childbirth. So it,
0: it
3: specifically says pain. Uh, and so it's... I don't know where you're getting okay. the idea that a period is a part of a punishment that needs purification.
2: If it is a part of a punishment... So let, let me head just... Head okay, head. Let, me, let me just dive in and, and ask the necessary core. If this period is part of a punishment, and it has to do with the reproductive cycle And and all of that jazz. And let me just take that all as great, okay? Mm. So, surely there should be some equivalent, um, some equivalent sort of act uh, when men masturbate. Well, yes, Andrew, They go blind. (laughs) (laughs)
1: No, I'm like okay, talking David, with a
2: bunch
0: of teenagers. David,
2: David oh, okay, I've so i t- <laughs> so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm being serious because yes. what we're saying. I, so I, I want to draw this out biologically. And by the way, oh, we please. have a professional. So Lisa, if I'm wrong about the reproductive cycle, I invite you to correct me. But the notion that the period is part of the reproductive cycle and the, and blood and all of that jazz is that the woman is losing and ovum. A woman is losing an ovum that is part of the reproductive cycle, and that ovum is not fertilized. So she's lost that ovum during her period. Now, any guy who does something like steal his seed on the ground, which, by the way, is a biblical reference for anybody that wishes to look it up, oh, um, surely, surely those sperm are equivalent to the lost ovum. And that is the only thing I can see making sense of this story. And if that doesn't make sense of the story, then boys and girls, the story does not make sense.
0: Okay, so, yeah, that, the the Geni- the book thing in Genesis isn't Onan didn't do something bad because he uh, put it but, put women, it this way, do. but women are but women are decide. No, I said it's not a sin for them to menstruate, right? God No, no, he, I know you say Eve sinned sin first. This is why she gets her specific punishment specific to her, not to men, about childbearing. And that punishment was it's meant to be a reminder. You know, when you're giving pain and birth, you're gonna you meant to remember, oh, this is because of what happened in the Garden of Eden and I'm going to salvation is coming through the birth. The child. God didn't take that curse to man. So that's possibly why it's not
2: But now but no, wait a minute. We've we've so Dale, you know, I appreciate you. I'm not, I'm not trying to run over you or, or challenge you in some unnecessary or abrupt or, or, you know, some negative way. We've shifted topics from menstruation to giving birth. And I was drawing a parallel between menstruation and loss of semen, loss of sperm during masturbation. And, and by the way, I don't think, you know, if, if this topic is uncomfortable for some of the listeners, this may go on for another minute or two, probably not much longer, but it's okay to skip ahead. So we are talking specifically about menstruation and loss of that ovum and the notion of purification and what you've said here is that there's a there's a notion of purification that is justified even though there is no sin associated with menstruation now my challenge to that is if there is no sin associated with menstruation i would invite you to tell me uh, in some reasonable way why there is a need for cleansing david i think you asked that so i'll i'll just call back to that and and say what is cleansing if it's not related to sin? And I would like another example of a cleansing in the Bible that was not associated with sin, because that's the line being
1: drawn
0: here. Okay, um, so yeah, there, there are such examples, I think, but I can't think okay. of it offhand, but there are there are ritual purity things that are not associated with sin, from what I remember. Um, okay. um but yeah, even this, it isn't about sin, right? This is about ritual purity, and the Old Testament laws are a reflection of a ancient Near Eastern culture, God is compromising to give them laws uh, in in terms of what they would accept or what they would understand and then trying to push it forward it, it's not the moral ideal um, so God is trying to teach them about the importance of blood and that's why there's these uh, these laws and it's also meant as a reminder of hey remember remember the Garden of Eden when you're when you're going going through the pain of childbirth and things associated around the reproductive cycle of, of women menstruation menopause as well um, you're meant to remember that uh, this your salvation is going to come through your loins, right the, the Genesis 3 passage the, through the seed the Messiah will come and this is why there is such a focus in the ancient Near East Near Eastern culture in the Old Testament, especially early on, there's this focus on childbearing. That's our salvation. That's, that's the all. They almost, they don't even care about heaven and hell or, or none of that. The main focus is how many kids can we pop out and, uh, you know, and that, that's, they saw their salvation through the childbirth. So, yeah, that's what I think. But I'll provide a link. You guys can actually research it because this is not an area I specialize in. It's not an area that is important to me personally. I, I was doing this because it's, it's something important for Lisa, so. Yeah, uh, you know, give give the link that I'll provide a read and see if that makes more sense than what I've provided here.
2: That's a fair response. I mean, you, you've worked at
3: this pretty hard, um, Dave.
2: Do you have a, a follow up or Matthew? No, I'm um, uh, yeah,
3: crazy,
0: so I, that's <laughs> that's all I got there. <laughs> okay, and Matt says Dale. Uh, Okay.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. I said I do have a comment. I, I, I'm not going to respond
0: then. This will be okay, it.
1: No, that, that's fine. Well, um, purely just a tangential observation. Men are clearly cursed not to be able to take. Body function seriously so I, I think we all need to acknowledge uh, that one. But in reading through the passages on, on menstruation and, and blood being spilt, etc the overriding impression that I get is this is written by a man who finds this stuff icky and that's just what I get so a man has gone ooh I don't like that how can I legislate that out of my life so he's come up with these quite frankly ridiculous rituals uh, to go with it just to justify his own fear of what he doesn't understand and yeah it's it's disgusting and, and it's despicable so that's that's my feeling on that but there is a critical part of Lisa's question which hasn't been addressed and that is how does this work um, and I think this question can also flow backwards to the baptism thing how does this work if this is so important it is yeah. so critical how this is supposed to work because frankly I don't think it does oh and yeah. uh, just one one last little thing cleaning blood blood is not cleaning fluid blood does not clean anything it's blood blood but anyway
0: carry on okay okay so really really quickly then and this will be it and we're going to go to Tara's next okay so uh I did I did address how does it work with with this. I, I specifically said it, it doesn't work. We're not cleansing the sin. It, it's not a sin in the first place and it's not, it, it doesn't no, no, forget work.
1: The sin bit. Forget the sin bit. It's specified in the Bible as a ritual that must be done. Yeah, What's so the what why? Is it how, how, how is it? What, what is the mechanism by which is going on here? What is the communication of this blood to God? What is going on in the cosmos, you know, in the ether? What, whatever adjective you want to use? What's going on that makes it work?
0: Nothing. God, God looks on it and says, all right, good. You're, you're remembering. I'm giving you a tutor. You're remembering blood is important. So when Jesus comes, uh, You'll recognize that you can only be saved through blood, and then you'll be like the you'll believe in the atonement. It's it's setting up salvation history. That's all it does. It's it's a tutor. It it has no mechanics of cleansing sin at all. The the blood of animals is meaningless, really. I mean, it, it it's okay. it's yeah. It it could have been flower petals, as as David brought up on our show on blood, but in order to make God's point, he had to. Use blood to sink it through their heads that at the end of the day you can't be atoned through flower petals. It has to be the atonement of Jesus. So yeah, Uh, alright. So
1: he he could do it in 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 He could just do it, the cleansing or whatever it is. But to satisfy his own pathetic existence, he requires that we must do something in order to receive what he could give to us without us having to do it.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I uh, okay. So I was too hasty then because the the blood is is how we can bridge the gap and. Approach God that's necessary to uh, to uh, cure the spiritual death that that is separation from God God and man but yeah actually so I didn't misspeak because that's not taking place with the blood of these animals that only takes place through the blood of Jesus the blood of the animals is symbolic just like the ritual of baptism. I, I'm not being cleansed by going in the waters of baptism. I'm doing an ordinance, a symbol, and I'm obeying Jesus. So there's no, there is no magic taking place with these animal sacrifices. So, yeah, uh, alright, cool. So, uh, Andrew, you're gonna, you get the joy of asking our friend Tara's question.
2: Okay, so just as a, a little background for anyone who might be new to this, Tara is uh, someone familiar to all four of us. She participates in, in the unbelievable boards, and I know that She's a regular contributor to Skeptics and Seekers. In fact, if I recall correctly, I think David uh, had Tara on as a guest in a Skeptics and Seekers supplementary podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is interested, in part, in Dale's shroud series, and she asks, I think, about a about the shroud sort of in a back. So, if we take the shroud and and suggest that the shroud is a is a real biblical artifact, uh, it did in fact wrap the body of G in in some tomb in. Uh, in the ancient past. And she says, if the Shroud is and you could convince everyone in the world that the Shroud was, how would that help you bring people into the fold of Christianity, given that that's your objective, Dale, with the Shroud series?
0: Okay, so with Tara's question, I, I have a twofold response on the Shroud. So that the first is that I think if I could prove the Christian God is true through the evidence of the Shroud, that many uh, skeptics would then reconsider their opinions about the Christian God being immoral based on certain bi- verses. I don't make the claim that all of them would immediately come to my point of view. Uh, Some of them would undoubtedly still say, no, I still think it's immoral. But I think many of them would see my point and be more sympathetic to it if they actually knew it was real. Um, my, second, my second answer is, so when I studied the Shroud, I'm doing this out of order because when I started it, I first proved that God exists. And by God, that includes a morally perfect God. So I've, I've already got a morally perfect God. And then I'm answering, asking the question, well, does Christianity represent that morally perfect God that I know already know exists? Um, and then by proving Christianity is true, it is from God then I've got okay well then I've got that the Christian God is morally perfect but if you're just coming it in coming in from okay well I've proved the shroud and and the Christian God is true but I haven't established well is is this God morally perfect or good or not then of course that that's a question that needs to be attempted so it needs to be answered and that's being assumed in my shroud series that I've already done the work on that front uh so yeah I'll I'll turn it over to uh I think yeah David first uh David what's your follow-up I don't think I need to spend too much time with
3: it i'm uh, i'm a shroud not just a shroud skeptic but a shroud shrugger i guess i it, it just wouldn't matter so let's say it's an authentic piece of cloth that covered a dead man in the first century there, may, there must be many such cloths i don't care so what's the magic of the shroud um it's got an image on it there are just too many ways that the image can be on it i, I can't even be bothered to engage with that and so but let's say further well it's a magical image that does not in fact identify uh, tie it to Jesus of Nazareth so let's say it's a magical image and it's somehow tied to Jesus of Nazareth uh, you still don't get a resurrected Jesus <laughs> from that you, you get a dead Jesus and a cloth that none of his followers uh in in you know found in time to make the Bible uh publication so I just there's there's so many degrees of separation between this shroud and the Jesus story i I can't begin to engage with it.
0: Okay, uh, so that that wasn't exactly Tara's question, but it, okay, I get it. So, so Andrew, what if the shroud is proven to be all all of those? It's proven to be a G belief authenticating event, which includes all three of the things that the David was saying he find, he's skeptical of. Tara's saying even if I could establish all of that, because we've got these immoral things, who cares if the Christian God is true? I, I wouldn't, I don't care about this or the shroud at all. Uh, how would you follow? Up?
2: Well. I think what I would say is something along the lines of, of where Tara is. If I had an artifact that I could tie uh, to Jesus, and let's say the shroud is that object, tying a, tying a piece of history to a dead person, doesn't create any moral imperative on my part. And so what seems strange to me is that the shroud could be considered proof of Christianity because surely proof of Christianity is about the moral club, not the supernatural. So if we've we've got some guy who changes water to wine or raises dead people or can ascend uh, into outer space or into another dimension, those abilities don't create a moral imperative and they don't tell a moral story. And so the shroud is for me, largely irrelevant in regard to the way I live my life from an ethical perspective. If I wanted to live my life as a Christian and I were searching for proof of those moral imperatives, I would actually expect to find a supernatural artifact that confirmed those moral imperatives, not that confirmed that somebody was wrapped
0: in a piece of cloth. Okay. Uh, and yeah, Matthew, what's your take I
1: think Tyra's not being quite as specific enough for my liking in her question. Um, well, because the shroud is real, you know, it's a piece of cloth. With an image on it you can go and visit it occasionally when it's brought out on display there are images of it uh, on the internet and uh, documentation of studies on it so it's there it's a real piece of history quite what part it has played in history is what the question is and um uh, tara's not been quite specific enough about what part of this history are we to uh, accept but let's say for argument's sake it is without question established that it is the result of a resurrection process uh, a body that which christian interpretation of that god does that get me to if right. I, I i don't know you know there are too many problematic areas in going from the crowd from the shroud to god and i think that's not the direction that anybody should take you know if you want to end up with accepting that the shroud is a true representation of the, the risen christ then you need to start from god and work down to the shroud i don't think you can get from the shroud to the christian God actually because at the end of the day you still end up with which
0: christian god okay yeah okay Okay, and yeah, that's oh I've already given my take. Uh so so yeah, I would sort of agree with what you guys are saying. Um I, I do agree that you would need to establish this case uh for Christianity proper. And I think the shroud attests to that. That that's one of the criteria in arguing that it's a G belief authenticating event, right? So I I don't think the issue of versions matters at all. It it attests to Christianity proper. The issue of denominations or versions comes after you've got Christianity proper is true. Then you can figure out these specifics on that front as well as as moral questions. Uh, yeah, you you've got to you've got to ask. The shroud on its own doesn't prove uh, that the you know which morals. I think that's what Andrew was saying. Which morals you got to follow, uh, but it does attest to the truth of Christianity. And Christianity includes ethical factual teachings a whole bunch a whole list of theological doctrines so it, it's the whole kit and caboodle that is being attested to by the shroud because it fulfills this g belief authenticating event uh criteria that I've, I've laid out so yeah that's my take there
2: uh, can i ask you a, a follow-up if we if we don't have time i, I accept that
0: but a, a quick one yeah because we still got sarah's get.
2: oh that's right thank you okay so so good note. we do have one more question okay so it seems to me that the, the shroud can be seen as a as a piece of obfuscation against Christianity in this way. If the moral imperatives of Christianity are true, so uh, one man, one woman together forever, elders in the church must have certain qualifications. There's a, a right way and a wrong way to raise your children in, in some Christian environment. Wh- whatever you think the moral imperatives are, it seems to me that a God that wanted to spend supernatural energy around confirming those moral imperatives would have actually created a supernatural object that would have confirmed those moral imperatives. So maybe you go rub the head of a Buddha and and you're imbued with with some sense of moral direction, right? Because the importance of Christianity are the moral claims that get you into heaven. Not that some guy died and was resurrected from the dead. That's actually not a terribly important part of the story. The important part of the story is uh, the sins laid out in Romans chapter one or uh, that baptism plays a key role in salvation or how a husband treats his wife, how a wife is to behave in and out of public. It's those moral imperatives that Christians depend on to think that they're going to experience some everlasting life. And and so it seems to me that God's wasting his time on a piece of cloth that wraps a dead body, even if it's a supernatural piece of cloth in some sense, because the actual thing that you want to do is create the moral compass, and the shroud doesn't do anything, no matter how authentic it is.
0: So that, that's uh, that's not true, actually, because it's, it's not just about the moral imperatives. It's all the resurrection, my, my goodness, I mean, that's the atonement, that most important thing related to how we live a moral Christian life. It's impossible to live a moral Christian life without the resurrection. So I, I would put those things on par. Secondly, we do have supernatural. Uh, it, obviously, we're not going to get into how the Holy Spirit works, but there is the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, which does God. The Bible says this is meant to guide Christians to live an increasingly more and more Christ-like life. So there is there is a supernatural, you know, ruba Buddha type argument that Christians (laughs) do do claim, and I I claim, uh, it's not infallible. You know, it works to differing degrees depending on how open the person is and that sort of thing, right? Like people through the process of sanctification is what I'm getting at. But um, yeah, the the main point is that these are equally important, and even if they weren't, uh, it doesn't matter, because all that matters is can we get these moral knowledge of these moral truths, and through the Shroud, or the Resurrection, or if we could prove Jesus' turn water into wine whatever it is through these miracles we can say okay well this system as a whole is true this religion is true and therefore this divine revelation which includes these moral aspects of how i live these are sufficiently attached and therefore i'm warranted in okay that god wants me to live this way so as long as we can get those moral truths but it doesn't matter god doesn't directly have to authenticate each moral truth through a supernatural sign uh, if a supernatural sign of another aspect can get us by association those those other things um so yeah so that's my take all right
2: i'll I'll leave it there yeah i I will I won't follow up. I think it might be uh, worth listener listening to that section a second time around. But but I will happily leave it because we are short and and I do
0: appreciate. It. Oh no worries, you're off. All right, cool. So so David, uh, yeah. you get to read Sarah's question. Sure.
3: And just just on that last point, if anyone wants to follow up on that, there's a SNS episode yeah. on sufficient attachment, and uh, we spend the whole hour on uh, on on that point. So that's that's Dale's show. So if you if you want to go back to that one, I don't remember which number it is, but it's it's in the catalog. The um, uh, question from Sarah is um, that there's a question I have uh, for you. You placed Christianity at 53% initially, now 87%. Uh, Your math's have gave you only a slight lead, but now you know you hadn't evaluated the data correctly and it was wrong. Isn't that a problem? And I I remember you saying that your your number had changed. I, I don't think that the total number was 87%, but some part of it was. But So maybe when you answer Sarah's question, you can just give a little bit of explanation on your number, your faith number, and how you got there. Okay. So uh,
0: you're, uh, David's absolutely correct. Uh, Sarah's kind of mis- mishearing what I was saying. So I'm not saying my overall probability that Christianity is now 87%. I was saying that one of the positive pieces of evidence in that overall case uh, has jumped. So, in, in order to get that 53 to 55 percent, what I what I had when I originally converted, I was assessing the inner witness of the Holy Spirit evidence as 75 percent. Since my conversion, it has gone up to 87 percent. And I, you know, I, I don't want to get too personal. That was grounded in four experiences I've had so far where the Holy Spirit has gotten stronger, attesting to the truth of the Christian faith. Now, when I plug that 87 percent. And I haven't done that. I know I promised to do it, but it's it, it gets complicated with the vindication argument, and I've just been too lazy to to go through the calculations of that. I don't know where it would come. It would probably be I don't know, 65 percent overall is probably where it would come out, just as a guess, something like that. Um, so I'm I'm not at eighty seven percent convinced Christianity's true. That's just for the individual piece of evidence. Overall, I don't know where it is. Maybe 60s. Uh, who who knows? So yeah, and that that's the only thing that's changed on the negative end. I'm still at the same place. I, I gave that the highest that it will probably ever go, which is 95%. That Christianity is false based on all the negative evidences, and you know my, the evidence on the shroud. That that's all stayed the same. Nothing's changed on that front. So here, here's the essence though, of, of her question. So she's basically saying, well, you, overall, whatever it is, you're, you're going up. I, th- I thought these probabilities, aren't, aren't you supposed to, once you get this probability, isn't that proof that, no, it, it is 53% kind of thing? And I. My method uses uh, normative probabilities, and it, it's open to change in light of new information, right? My, my calculations only take into effect the evidences that, you know, garbage in, garbage out, or good stuff in, good stuff out kind of thing. I, I'm only using it uh, based on the evidences that go into it and my, my assessment of those. So if someone comes along with new evidence, uh, it says you were wrong in assessing this thing, it might go up or down. Or if somebody says you totally, like, for example, in our next SNS thing, I, I'm going to be Doing a series on messianic prophecies, and I'm going to be attempting because I know I was telling David, you know, skeptics claim that I'm always hiding behind a defensive position. You're claiming, and I'm just providing a Molinistic defeater kind of thing. So, with the messianic prophecies, even though I'm not sure I can establish it, I'm going to attempt to make a claim and try to argue for it as a deeply authenticating event. Um, So, that wasn't included in my overall calculation at all. If I'm successful, which I might not be. I don't know how it's going to come out. My probability will be going up because it's feeding in new information, a new piece of evidence, a new G-belief authenticating event that I never even, con- it wasn't a part of my original calculation at all. No, that's not a problem at all. That's fine. That's the way we should live our lives. We should always be open to getting new data and, and new assessment or, or new information and that sort of thing, If, if unless you're 100% convinced, as I, as I said to David before. So yeah, I'll turn it over for follow-up. Uh, we'll go reverse order. So so Matt, what's, do you have any follow-ups on, on that? or? Yeah
1: yeah i'm a little bit puzzled by by numbers uh here i'm fairly sure i'm not the only one who's um noticed it but if it's okay to jump feet first in christianity at 53 percent or whatever why are you not allowed to jump out and, unless it's uh, you're over 99 percent sure that it's well
0: to jump no uh if, if if i if i learn something new and i i reduce down to like i think your question is related to the na like if, if overall i go below if i go 50 percent or below i would no longer be a christian at that point what what you're talking about with the 95 percent is the negative evidence no um, i
1: think you missed this oh, and yeah okay. you're misunderstanding what i'm saying Back at, right back at the very beginning, in the first thing, where, one of the early questions we were talking about, we're talking about when is, it, when is it good enough to stop seeking Christianity? And you, you said you need to be more than ninety-nine percent certain that this isn't going to get you to Christianity.
0: Uh, you no, said I it, think you need to be a hundred percent. So before you can, if there's even a, there's even a small fraction of a percentage, you should you should always be open to learning something new, or you know, to whatever degree is possible.
1: But you're quite happy to jump into Christianity at numbers far far less than nineteen percent certainty so there's a, a, quite a big yeah but I'm, I'm
0: still i'm still open right like i'm i'm open to the fact that i could be wrong and that islam is true i i even though i've made my decision i still need to be a truce or real seeker myself christians don't get off the hook if, if i'm not hundred percent convinced Christianity's true i need to be open too or i'll, pay, or, I'll or i'll be responsible if, if Islam's true and i die and go up to hell go up to heaven and allah's there and he says you were a christian and i'm like well i studied the evidence and that's where it came up yeah, but you weren't open. You didn't study this new evidence from Shabir Ali. Remember, Shabir emailed you and said you should check this out. And you said, the heck with it. I'm not going to look at it. So that's that's my fault. So, yeah, I'm still open that I could be wrong. OK. Um, All
1: right. Yeah. yeah so the- I, I'm feeling like there's special <laughs> pleading going on here. Yeah. (laughs)
0: okay I don't get it but okay all right cool so that's uh, can I can I go next
1: I know that you've
3: got Andrew but this directly follows with what Matt said because I I had the same you see we what people don't know is that um Dale and I just had a discussion for an hour and 20 minutes (laughs) um And in that discussion, uh, Dale was making the argument that even though he might be 65% or more certain that maybe a biblical passage seems sexist to him, that would leave 35% that maybe it's not and that it's okay. He would go with the 35% because he has faith in God, essentially. He's got faith in Christianity. So he would take the lesser percentage and and run with that because he thinks that he has overriding evidence despite those numbers. And yet he's not giving... Giving the unbeliever the same grace that they've got—let's say they agree with your numbers and that Christianity is 65% certain—but maybe they've got overriding evidence that would let them uh, go with that 35%. And you're not—you're not letting them off the hook in the same way. So I. I would- say oh, even more fair. than Matt, you are using a double standard. Matt just didn't hear the conversation where you really spelled
0: it out. So no, then. So because you're not, and I, I really spelled it out for you. So I, I in the context that we're talking about here, absolutely what I said to Matt was correct. In the context of me asking, is Christianity true? I, it's more probable than not, then it goes in as a negative and or positive evidence, uh, either for or against Christianity, depending on what it is. So if I'm evaluating, if my question is, is Christianity Christianity true or not, I'm still including that 65% thing against Christianity. But in you, what we were talking about on our show is, well, now that I'm a Christian, in the context of a Christianity, you know, I've got my overriding argument that I'm warranted in believing Christianity is true, I'm warranted in believing that the Bible is sufficiently attached to Christianity, and I'm warranted in believing that God would not allow undue confusion in the sense of allowing errors of moral commandments in the Bible. You know, as I said I'm 95% certain God would not allow those types of errors. To occur in the Bible. So as a Christian, with, with that overriding argument as part of my background knowledge before I assess this, then I would go with 35%. And I would say, well, in isolation, I'm 65% certain uh this is this is immoral or this is an error or something. But I'm gonna have faith in God. There's a 35% chance I'm wrong on that based on this overriding argument that Christianity is true, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'm gonna go with 35%. I believe it's not immoral. I don't know how to explain it. I, I don't know, but I have faith that there is an explanation somewhere in that 35% thing. So I, I that's i don't know if that makes sense to andrew and, and matt who, who hadn't who didn't have the full explanation but that that's sort of what david's hinting at here does that make sense guys or
1: i understand that you're being sincere and you're genuinely trying to explain your position dale sir, but you're gonna have to forgive me I, i'm not getting it and it's not it's not landing in my brain as a as a cohesive uh, argument and i need to think through a little bit more how i need to reflect that back at you in, in, a, in a healthy and helpful way and i'm, I'm not
0: okay. in that point now so probably best I I don't try to to if I could just give uh, if if I could just give one helpful example this is what me and David were saying it won't take long just just see tell me if this helps just at a conceptual level of understanding so we're taking all the evidence for the law of gravity David was saying always 99.99% sure that this is true or something like something very the evidence is overwhelming for the law of gravity right now let's say one day we have an isolated event where David gets sucked upwards through his roof would David be be justified or warranted in saying, well, this natu- this anomaly that took place that proves the law of grav that proves that the law of gravity is wrong. I would say no, because he needs to fault he needs through the principle of falsification he needs to prove that actually the law of gravity is not right. With all the evidence we have, I think that overrides that anomalous experience. We can explain it as maybe aliens came overhead and used a tractor. Beam. That doesn't mean the law of gravity is wrong. And he needs to eliminate all those other options in order to truly falsify or over return the overriding evidence and effect, he needs, he needs to prove a hundred percent because what else can beat 99.99999% that the law of gravity is false because of this isolated anomalous experience that doesn't the, the law the evidence for the law of gravity overrides that isolated experience is what I'm trying to say so yeah Andrew, did, did you have any thoughts?
1: Or? Yeah, see, I I, that, yeah, that doesn't help me because I think you're using the roof experience to argue for God. But anyway, yeah, move on to Andrew. forgot. Okay.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah. Andrew. Possibly,
2: I'm in a similar place as Matthew. Matthew, tell me if I'm wrong. but It seems to me that that we've got some complation going on here that that needs to be identified and dealt with. So identifying a discrepancy in the law of gravity, however that might be done, is very different from the type of evidence that would be necessary to prove a more subjective claim about human X. And so I think right away, if we were uh, to say that David, as for instance, encountered some circumstance that ran counter to our understanding of physics, that would be very different. And how we would go about analyzing would be very different. Than the way we might analyze one woman being pro-abortion and another woman being pro-life, okay? And and so I think that right away we have a, a very different kind of statistical landscape. And I would encourage all of them to try to do something like pick any historic event and come up with some evidence about that historic event that proves the moral value of the people involved in the historic event versus just proving that the moral that the historic event, in fact, happened, because that's where we are. We're not actually playing the game of trying to prove historical events. If indeed we could prove every act in the Bible was actually a historic event, we still would be not much closer to proving the ethics those That's not to say that there wouldn't be some implications, but it's a very strange thing to say that we can get from historic events, that's the it in this thing, to the ought that we ought to do what those characters did. And so in some sense, even though I'm a computer programmer. I I live my life based around organized rules of, of reason.
0: I don't I don't mean to draw. I'm just thrilled that Andrew, as a skeptic, recognized that the different you can't derive an ought from an is. I'm 100% with you on that. Sorry sorry to interrupt. I just
2: <laughs> well no wait a minute. I'm I'm not saying I'm not saying that oh, okay. we necessarily it's, can Okay. Okay. What I'm what I am saying is that you haven't gotten from historic event to moral implication in any amount of math that you can do.
0: True. I- i would agree. and oh, sorry. oh
2: I'm, no no i'm look i'm sorry you started talking i it was rude of me to interrupt so please you go ahead
0: okay well, i was just gonna say I, I yeah i agree with you i'm not sure what you're like are you it sounds like you're going back to the last question about can i prove the shroud or resurrection as a historical event so i've i've, I've got the sufficient <laughs> attachment to get that but absolutely in principle i i agree you, proving that The city of Jericho was conquered doesn't prove anything whether it was ethical or not. There are are differences in terms of how uh, we arrive at at whatever degree of warrant we have. Like, I I would say I'm 95. uh, let, let's say um, you're 95% convinced the law of gravity is true, and you're 95% convinced that it's slavery is wrong in the Old Testament. Oh, you, you've got 95%. Now, the way you arrive there, law of gravity is a scientific uh, law. It's derived through scientific evidence, and there's a, a there's a difference. There is definitely a difference in how you arrive at those probabilities. But at the end of the day, if you're warranted, however you get there, then that's that's good enough. So if if I'm 95% warranted in in my claim that you know that with this overriding evidence, uh, argument, overriding argument, then yeah, I can use that to override an isolated case where I'm, okay, well, I'm, I'm 65% sure that in isolation, this this doesn't make sense. But given that I know the Christian God is good, uh, you know, I, I've established this overriding argument, and that's more probable mm-hmm. than this, then I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to place my faith in, in that. Okay. So...
2: I, I don't want to chase this a, a okay. lot longer. I will simply say, I don't know what you mean by overriding argument. because when I sit to approach something from a more likely than not perspective, when I actually want to analyze the s, work it into an equation and see what the result tells me, I don't have any such thing. As an overriding argument, what I have is information that I feed into a statistical formula and it gives me a result. And that result can be empirically tested by taking similar information and feeding it into that formula and determining whether I get the same result. So in that sense, I don't have any such thing as an overriding argument. And if I do have something that I consider an overriding argument, I'm not trying to misquote you. I I really am willing to have the last word on this. Yeah, that's the word I use. Yeah, so what I'm saying is if I want the math to do the work, uh-huh. then I don't have a legitimate appeal to an overriding argument. What I have is an appeal to the math. If I have an appeal to an overriding argument, then I don't need the statistics.
0: Okay. Okay. So so sure. But your your statistics, statistical model or calculation takes mm-hmm. into effect. It also includes what I'm calling an overriding argument. It includes that as evidence in the overall case, right? So your statistical model will, will weigh all of the evidence. If, if you're just using your statistical model to look at the isolated event oh david went through the roof that proves gravity doesn't exist just based on that one fact you would also take into all the other evidence as well and then your statistical model would come up with what's more probable overall exactly so
3: correct? i so i don't want to i don't want to cut off a good conversation assuming that this is one but i i do have to run <laughs> this is sarah's question i, I, I understand <laughs> it's i i understand that but i'm 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 up against it so I've, <laughs> i'm going
0: to have to i just so, go these uh, are the these are the three guy so that's what i want
2: to say david that was. <laughs> <laughs> and and i will take it from from that very uh, from that very comment that you weren't very compelled by that conversation <laughs> I, so. I don't know I, I, I this
0: is all about my head <laughs> so <laughs> I just, just, well, just remember and, this, David. I'm right, and you guys are always wrong. So that's good. <laughs> that, that, is, cool. that
2: is the Rick curious X-20 thing you have still said, said all
0: day. So. <laughs>
2: okay, so I will simply say I have been drinking through the course of... Um, of this uh, show. So if that comes out, yes, I've, I've been drinking through the course show. And
3: I've been uh, contemplating how to start drinking. And so... Oh, um, I, 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 t- I am living. going to... Uh, as soon
1: as this is <laughs> no, look, I,
2: I But I am serious that if we're going to let the math do the work, we've got to let the math do the work. And there's no such thing in a statistical as an overriding argument. What there is is a data and what we can extrapolate from those data. And so if David was sucked up onto the roof, that would not be an argument. That would be a data so, point.
0: So yeah, it's 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 semantics i don't dis- disagree with what you're saying i'm using i'm approaching it from more of a philosophical standpoint you you've got more of a statistical fine my overriding argument let's call it data points and let's call uh david going through the roof a data point you would put that together and overall you would you would decide kind of your statistical model well, would tell you what's more probable than not and i but it, what but I'm it try-
2: wouldn't but, it, but that's what i'm saying that's that's why what we do in the physical world is very different from what we do in philosophy in the- the physical world all that would suggest to us is that in some limited set of conditions it might be possible that the law of gravity could be superseded it wouldn't it wouldn't imply anything uh, metaphysical about the nature of our universe, it wouldn't have any ethical value. And that's why I'm saying that even if you can prove all the supernatural events that are in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you haven't gotten closer to proving the ethical claims. You see, the the events themselves speak to the physical nature of the universe. Can David be sucked up onto the roof in, in contravention of everything that we think we know about gravity and quantum physics? Versus, does that event Tell us anything about the nature uh, and moral implication of that, right? Yeah, and uh, and the answer is no, it doesn't.
0: It, it, if Christianity is, is true, it does, right? Like, that's part of what I call the overriding argument because I'm, I'm, I'm answering the, this question as a Christian, right? That's why there's a difference as to why I'm going with a, what I personally think in isolation. Right, you
3: know, that, so there's there's a lot going on in the conversation that's kind of behind the scenes that not, not everyone has the same piece of, so um, yeah, we yeah, got yeah. Dale's, Dale's well, bigger overri- like- I, his overriding argument. Um, is that Christianity is true. And therefore, no matter whatever else happens, um,
0: I don't say no matter what, <laughs> just like Okay, it's, but if that, that is, is true, that is, that is we don't need any
2: statistics. Oh, right, <laughs> right that's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> right, so. okay, so so it's not just that I've had too much to drink. I, I am in <laughs> fact embarking on a way to engage in an argument through statistics that were brought up in this conversation that aren't
3: actually being used because
2: yeah, there is an overriding argument that yes. has <laughs> nothing to do
0: yeah you're not you're not talking about none of this yeah but I'm, i'm i use that like i obviously yeah like there's i'm not i don't use statistics in the same sense that andrew's meaning it but i was using that as to illustrate my point with these normative uh, probabilities which i assign to philosophical arguments and that sort of thing um, yeah once i plug it into the formula it calculates out to whatever you get the way
3: i still think it all goes a little bit far afield from sarah's original question and i um, i don't i don't want to re i don't want to reprosecute her, her yeah
0: so her so for sarah question. the answer to your question is no it, it's not a problem that the probability changes uh, it can go up or down so long as it's sufficient for me to still be a christian um that's fine and even if, even if it's not sufficient for me to be a Christian, okay, then I, I lose my faith at that point. I, I stop being a Christian.
2: I do want to say to that, Dale, in, in fairness to the conversations that you and I have had around statistics, and, and specifically the conversation we've had around Bayesian probability. Uh, Bayesian probability is the type of statistics that allows us, through new ep, to analyze our prior position. And so in that sense, even, even if I think this notion of statistics and ethics is a little cockeyed, and, and I do think that this notion of evidence- and ethics is a little cockeyed in the sense that we're talking about Bayesian probability and updating the prior probability of a position. In that sense, you've done nothing wrong. It is fair to say that new evidence changes the probability that some
0: uh, that some premise is true. Perfect. Yeah. I couldn't. Awesome. All right. So so yeah. I think I think that's good. I think we've answered all the questions for everyone. Uh, hopefully, you you enjoyed uh, seeing the Christian on the hot seat for this grill grill Christian episode. Ho- hopefully, it met. Uh, Lisa's approval, since she was the one who recommended to do this, and yeah, had a, had a good time. Ha- you, have Lisa. a good week. Huh? I was just saying thank you, Lisa. Oh no problem. Uh, so, so yeah, ha- have a good week. Say, say goodbye, everybody. I w- Bye, I everyone. Actually,
3: I was hoping for a real grill. That uh, it, that's not what happened.
0: Well, An- Andrew, ha- Andrew thought it was the wrong thing. He had the uh, the sauce, the barbecue sauce yeah. already. Yep, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Had
2: uh, had the Worcestershire sauce, the Worcestershire sauce, the barbecue sauce, the sauce. Yeah, you know, I was hoping for a real grill. Dale, um, you conducted yourself as a uh, as a consummate gentleman, thank you as always. And thank you for taking on three skeptics. That cannot be uh, an easy task. Oh, and, uh,
0: no problem. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank, thank you to you guys as well and, and engaging me. And I think it was an interesting conversation following up on, you know, the statistics and that sort of thing and getting out. We got a lot of stuff out there. So, yeah, uh, I'll be looking forward to, to listening to it myself. Thank David, you. All. And Matt Matt as to you, my token
1: Yeah. As the token brick here, it's Worcester Source.
0: Oh. Okay.
2: <laughs> and, and I know it's also aluminium, but I'll, I'll forever be raised in
0: the southeast <laughs> <laughs> all right guys have, have a great uh, weekend yeah cheers guys have a good one all right bye-bye Thanks,